0: Ah, Sunday, Sunday, I love it. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? This is a black chair right here, and, and we're trusting God for a few more of these. In fact, we need 159 more of these. We haven't given you an update in a few weeks here about Seats for Souls. Uh, the campaign we started a, really a couple of months ago to raise money for new chairs. Our, uh, our folding chairs are, they're good chairs, but we just don't have enough of them. And uh, we also need chairs. You'll see at the NC Center, uh, like Deb was saying, we have Transformers. We have, uh, we have our youth meet there. We have our, our, some classes that are meeting. And so what ends up happening a lot is we have to load up the chairs here, put them in a car, take them over there, and then bring them back on Sunday. And the wear and tear is just kind of taking a toll. And so we're, we're ready for new seats. As you can tell, these are a little more padded, just a little bit more. And they're comfy, and you're welcome to try one after service. Or if you want to come grab it and sit in it today, you're welcome to do that too. Um, but, but here's where we're at. Uh, we needed $7,200. That number just got adjusted down a little bit because we were able to negotiate some shipping uh, changes rather than uh, them actually shipping the chairs from, get this, Chino to us. Um, <laughs> I figured, hey, we could go pick them up. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. So the number came down uh, to about $6,800, so knocked about $400 off of that, that price tag. Uh, amen, isn't that good? That's good. Um, right now, we are in our fundraising effort at $5,400, just, just over $54. So, uh, so about, four, is that $1,400? Am I doing my math right? About $1,400 we need to go. Here's, here's the, the challenge. I got an email from the Seat Company yesterday, uh, their prices are going up at the end of this month, and so the quote that they gave us two months ago, she is saying if we get the order in in the next week, uh, yeah, it's actually in the next week, they'll they'll honor those prices. If we wait beyond that, the the seat, the price of the chairs are almost going to double. Um, And so they're on a a great special right now. So now this is not pressure tactics, all right? This is just reality, right? This is us being good stewards of what the Lord is doing. What we had asked was this, is that every adult in the church would buy a chair um, and then one for someone else, seats for souls. Uh, These aren't just chairs. These are a place where people can come and hear the gospel and hear about the love that Jesus has for them. And so these seats are directly tied to people giving their lives to the Lord. And we have to keep that in mind. In fact, if you look around you this morning, um, those empty chairs are not, you know, just, hey, we overplanned or we didn't plan well. No, we're anticipating, right? right? There's, there, God has names on those chairs already. There are people that will fill those places so that they can hear and receive. Um, if you have not, if you've not had the opportunity to buy a chair and, and, and donate towards, when I say buy a chair, of course, I mean that you're giving, it's not, you're not going to get an engraved chair. I, someone had asked me, can, can we put names on the chair? I said, yeah, we'll, we'll save a chair for you, and what we'll do is write the name on the bottom, so every Sunday you can, uh, you can find your chair. Um, but what you're doing is sewing into the work of the kingdom, you're investing into the work of the kingdom. And so the idea is this. Chairs are $45 each. We're asking if, if you can, if you're able to, to give $45 to buy a chair at least for yourself and then an additional $45 for someone you do not know yet but you will come to know. Sound good? If you're able to give beyond that, would you just walk in obedience to the Lord? Again, if, you're, if it's not in your budget and there's just no way right now, that's, that's fine. I get it. Um, but would you ask God how you can partner and be a part of that? And we're going to just trust God to, to bring the resource, right? He, he brings vision and provision. Amen? That was good, huh? He brings vision and provision. It's his... I've heard it, you know, when, when God gives an idea, he foots the bill as well. So, so Father, we just ask right now that uh, you would bring the resources needed to uh, place this order to get these chairs and, uh, Lord, to... Do a revamp here in, in this NPR, Lord, to create some place and space for people to hear the gospel. Lord, we know that you are doing good things in our midst, and Lord, we want to partner with you in the work of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to set this over here. If you come and grab this chair, no one's going to judge you. In fact, they'll be a little jealous. <laughs> All right. Hey, would you open your Bibles this morning the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. So I promised our teachers last week. (laughs) I don't even say anything else, do I? Yeah. A little caveat here. These, These messages are part of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Series and I I know last week I said I'll just say EHS and then the whole time I said emotionally healthy spirituality. I don't know why it just happened that way. Some of you caught that, but this series on emotionally healthy spirituality is one that we're doing as a whole church in conjunction with the the EHS course on Thursday night. Some of you are part of that, Um, so you know we're going to offer that. Uh, probably two, maybe even three times a year, is really a key part of our discipleship pathway here at our church. Um, but the series is one that actually Peter Scazzera, a pastor, who wrote "Emotionally Healthy Spirituality," put together. And so, uh, when you're preaching uh, and adapting someone else's notes to preach off of, if if you've had any experience in that, it's 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 quite the challenge sometimes. And so. I've been trying to rework this message today to make sure that we honor your time, and, but still hit on all of the things that I believe the Lord really wants to speak to us today. So this morning is week four. It's part four in this journey that we're on in moving below the surface of that iceberg. You can see the iceberg on the right, that, that 90% of an iceberg, the mass is below the water. You can't see it. And, and 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 so it is in our lives that there's so much that's below the surface that we don't see or we don't allow other people to see. Um, you, you know, you, you show people what you want them to, to see. Am I right? Right? It's like dating. You're dating and, and you show the person you're dating what you want to see. And and I, I get to do marriage counseling and it's always in that first year where they're like, well, where did that come from? What, what is... Right, because we show people, and then and at a certain point, stuff kind of comes out. The idea behind emotionally spiritual, emotionally healthy spirituality, is that we go below the surface of our lives and start kind of unpacking those things that we don't see, that we're maybe not even aware of. I, maybe it's things I don't show because I don't even know that it's there. And so, in this in this um, journey of really becoming. Uh, more emotionally healthy and, 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 and incorporating contemplative spirituality into our lives. Uh, in the midst of this journey, we see the Lord transforming us. And this morning, we want to talk about journeying or the journey through the wall. Journey through the wall. We've talked about the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We've looked at knowing yourself that you may know God. Last week, we talked about going back in order to go forward. And today, journey through the wall. June twelfth, nineteen eighty-seven. Hey, right on. There you go. June twelfth, nineteen eighty-seven, President Reagan stood in Berlin and gave a speech and 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 uttered one of the most well-known phrases that a president has ever spoken. What did he say? Mr. Gorbachev? tear down this wall, open this gate, and tear down this wall. Of course, the Soviet Union and communism had taken a firm foothold in Eastern Europe. Um, And the Berlin Wall was really just representative. While the wall did keep people out and separated the city of Berlin, it really represented a, a, a larger issue, a larger unseen wall the communist wall, the Iron Curtain as they said, that, that limited freedom of people living in those nations, in those Eastern Bloc nations. And in the 1980s, there was just this upheaval and, and uh, President Gorbachev and the Soviet Union had start, started making steps towards incorporating freedom and democracy. And, uh, and they, you know, the two words, who remembers the two words, the two Russian words? There was glasnost and perestroika. That's right. And these ideas that, that, that this Russian that the Soviet Union would embrace some more of the Western ways of thinking. And, and it culminated in this moment with Reagan standing there and saying, tear down this wall. Now, interestingly, he had said statements like that on a similar line or even close to the same thing before. But it was just this particular moment that just really stood out. And of course, over the next few years, you saw the dismantling of that wall. And uh, you can go to the Reagan Library out in Simi Valley and actually see a section of the Berlin Wall that is standing there and after it was torn down. The reality was, though, that tearing down concrete and metal didn't fix the issues, right? It It took years and years and in fact, decades, and is still being worked out. There was the real work that needed to happen was uh, across a nation and even a continent and in a government and in the hearts and the minds of people, that there was deep-seated things that needed to change that had even impacted the global community. So here's the thing. It's the same for us. See, we all reach a point in our journey with the Lord where we hit a wall. We hit a wall, and we'll talk about what that wall is, because it's different for every one of us, because we're all on a different journey. Our experience is different, but we hit a wall. Every single person hits a wall. Getting through the wall takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, and quite often we'll hit the same wall, maybe multiple times. Watching the Olympics and some of these runners, these distance runners, and the swimmers, 10K swim out in the open ocean, swimming for two and a half hours, blows my mind. I got tired just watching it, right? I'm like, how can you do that? They talk about with runners and marathon runners and triathletes that they hit a wall. They hit a wall, and and, and then you have to push through the wall. Otherwise, you don't finish the race. You have to push through the wall, but it takes time and it takes energy. We have to make sure that we're aware that there's a wall. Like I was talking about earlier, sometimes we put up the fence and go, hey, that's just a no-go area. We don't talk about those things, right? We don't, we don't look at those things in our lives. It's just easier to leave it. That's not pushing through the wall. That's ignoring the wall, which actually ends up building other walls, which is a bit of an issue. Throughout church history, Writers and commentators and theologians have tried to map out this Christian walk, this journey... And, and really have tried to build a framework for us to try and understand and make sense of the seasons that we walk through as believers. Because if you've walked through with Jesus for any amount of time, you understand that there's different seasons that you walk through, different experiences that you have, uh, at different points of growth and different points of challenge. And, and so the, the goal was to build some kind of framework to help us understand, okay, well, you're in this season or you're in this stage and... Um, it's important for us to understand that, that, uh, that there's no one framework that fits everyone. And so, at best, it's just a, it's an attempt to explain, to give us some help in the journey. Peter Scazzaro adapted in his book, in EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, adapted uh, a work that was done by a lady named uh, Janet Hapberg and Robert Gulich. And, and they established this framework. And I want to actually put it up on the screen. And identify these different stages of, of your walk with the Lord. Stage one, of course, being the life-changing awareness of God. That moment when you come to faith in Christ. And, uh, and He changes everything. He changes everything. I and mean, it doesn't matter if you're a kid or you came to faith as an adult. You understand this. When Jesus becomes a part of your life, when you receive him and, and surrender your life to him, he changes everything and you move from stage one into stage two, this discipleship stage, where you start growing and you start learning. And, and it's usually marked with, you know, classes at church or small groups, or you get to read a book or you go, you know, go through a certain program and, and you start establishing some, some, uh, some disciplines in your life. And after a while, you find yourself in stage three, the active life, serving And you realize, wow, I have something I can contribute. There's things that I can be a part of, and it's a time of doing. We're consciously working for God in His service. We're productive and setting goals and building and creating and taking responsibility. We're doing things like going to work days at the new community center on Saturday from 8.30 to 1 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Bringing our unique gifts to bear and maybe even a bag of tools. Um, we get that. If you've been a part of the church, right, there's lots of opportunities to serve within the body of Christ and to bring your unique gifts to bear. The thing is, stage one, stage two, and stage three are, are really the kind of the honeymoon stage of this journey, it's the place where you're kind of wide-eyed and almost starry-eyed. And, oh, look what Jesus is doing. Realizing that you're a sinner, but, but God has extended grace through you through the, to you through the person of Jesus Christ. And the awe that God would move in your life. And the commitment on your part to say, God, I'm just going to live for you. Maybe there's tears that are shed and there's emotion and, you know, and, and you're just like, ah I'm going to walk strong and I'm going to be good. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to love people and I want to I wanna grow and it just seems so good and surreal. And then we hit obstacles. Then something happens in our lives and throws off that rhythm or challenges the things that we're learning. And can I just be honest? what ends up happening is we get confused. We get confused. Wait a minute. This, this shouldn't be happening. I gave my life to Jesus, and, 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 and I, I really meant it too. And, and I've been going to church faithfully, and I've been reading the books that the pastor said I should read, and I went to that small group, and uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm meeting people, and I'm even serving people. God, how can there be this obstacle? I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to stay on the right path. We even think things like this. Well, life's just a battle. We're going to engage in spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, right? Wrestle not against flesh and blood, principalities and power, which is absolutely true, but it doesn't do this. It doesn't explain away the wall. And, and, and that's really what ends up happening in so many believers' lives. is like, Lord, I can't make sense of this, so I've just got to uh, uh, just got to, some kind of theolo- theology. I'm going to create a theology. Peter Scazzaro had actually shared that in our class the video teaching this last uh, Thursday. That when we hit things that we don't get, we create a theology. Or, or even when we have attitudes we're not supposed to have. We build a theology. Would, well, Jesus got angry. Yeah, but Jesus wasn't a jerk about it. (laughs) All right, you're still awake. Right. We build a theology around it. Well, God's just, he's just taking me through the deserts. Pastor, I'm just in a desert place. No, you're stubborn. (laughs) Now, God does take us through seasons. But man, when you hear someone who's been in a desert place for 12 years, you're like... I know that's not God's heart for you. Right. That's right. It's not God's heart for you. So, so you get to this place where you're just, for, for no, lack of a better word, you're just stuck. The result is stuckness. I just made that up. Stuckness. We end up in this journey in our, our faith and we're in different stages of stuckness. And I don't know how to get through. I don't know how to get out of this and get beyond The wall. See, the wall, stage four, is the journey inward. It's the point where Jesus says you can't just keep dealing with the surface stuff. You've got to get beyond the 10%. And so often the wall is not the external things. It's when Jesus starts meddling in our lives. When he starts touching on the things that you're like, no, 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 no. You could have all of me except for that. I don't want you to go there, Jesus, you know how much that hurts, and you're, you're, you're a loving father, God, you're a loving, so you're not going to get into my stuff, and he's like, oh, yes, I am, and it's the point as believers that we have to turn inward and say, okay, God, what are you doing in me, and who am I Really? And as we've talked about emotionally healthy spirituality and having this sense of who God is and having a sense of who I am and and, and taking a look backward to where I've come from and realizing that my past has drastic and dramatic impact on who I am today, that you reach a point where you have to say, God, I have to look inward. Stage four. Hagberg and Gulich who came up with these stages or these seasons, one of the things that they realized and recognized in doing surveys is that many, many believers in our tradition as evangelicals and many believers get stuck at stage two and stage three and never actually make it into stage four. Pressing into the hard things. See, because stage five is the journey outward, but you can only move out into your calling and God's plan for your life once you've gone in. You can't give what you don't have. And so God says, I want to call you inward so that you can then go outward. And then stage six, transformed by love. Transformed by love. That we come to a place where we get and live the agape love of God. Where issues that would have messed us up before don't. People that we would have had an issue with before don't. Why? Because I understand the love of God in a way that I never did before. And that's, that's the goal. Romans chapter 8. God says that his commitment to us is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his goal. That's the end game. Well, we only look like Jesus when the mark of our life is agape love. So imagine this, if the majority of evangelical believers are stuck at stage two and stage three, then then the love that we are trying to give really is kind of manufactured and contrived, conditional, and only reflects a part of the heart of God. The goal here is not an indictment, it's an awareness. It's for us to realize, and, and you would, I, I'm sure you would agree with me in this, and if we were to do a, just a broad inspection of the church in America, and I'll pick on America because that's where we are, that loving isn't usually the first characterization of the church in America or believers in America, is it? Because we're stuck. And we become self-serving or we explain things away rather than doing the hard work of pressing in. Some of us this morning are in transition between stages. Maybe you're between two and three. Maybe you're just coming out of season one into season two. Maybe you've pushed through the wall and you're realizing the beauty and the strength of this inward journey. But generally, we find ourselves at home in one of these seasons, one of these stages. And I imagine this morning that you've looked at the screen and gone, oh yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there. And so we can, we can process that. So, so the problem, the wall. Why is the wall an issue? The, the wall is an issue because of this. The wall strikes at the core of who we are. It addresses the core beliefs the assumptions that we have, the things that have been shaped into our psyche and our identity about who we really, 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 really are. Not just what we show to people, but who do you believe you are? And who, what do you believe about yourself? And when it's just you and no one else around, what's going on in your heart and your mind? Who are you? Really, and we live with these facades where we feel fake, and we feel, of course, the Christianese word is we're, we're hypocrites. I'm just being a hypocrite, or you're being a hypocrite. The reality is that we don't have what it takes to press in to the deeper things so the true self can really, really emerge. See, the wall is a difficult place to visit. It's a difficult place to be for any amount of time because it's going to require that you take a hard, honest look at who you are. It's new territory. You ever been to a new place and it just kind of freaks you out a little bit? I remember the first time I got to go to Haiti, um, I, I I like to know where I'm at. Like if I'm going on a trip, I'll pull out maps or I used to pull out maps. Now I go to Google Maps and I'll do like street views and satellite views and find, you know, uh, uh, landmarks so I can have a sense of where I am when I go to Nairobi or go, you know, some other place. I'm like, I want to know kind of where I'm at. I'll find where the mountains and everything. Haiti, Port-au-Prince, just rock my world because it's, there's so much destruction and chaos. At any given point, you have no idea where you are. And I would venture to guess some of the people who live there don't know where they are. You just kind of wander around for a while until you find something that rec- you recognize, it, it, was, it was a hard place for me to be because I felt so out of control. When we get into new places in our walk with the Lord, we can feel a little out of control. And let's be honest, that freaks us out because for the most part, we're control freaks. Can I get an amen? amen. I like to be in control, but we need to know this, the wall, and, and we'll talk a little bit about what the wall is. The wall is necessary if you were to develop a deep and mature relationship with God. If you want to be a deep, mature person, the wall and walls are necessary and needed. For the most part, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. I have a short list. Divorce. Failed marriage, betrayal, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a deep depression, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains, to marry that remains unfulfilled. Amazing how in a moment a car accident could change your life forever. I have a friend up in Oregon, a guy named Bryce, who, young man, outdoors guy, he 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 fashions his own bows and arrows out of wood that he finds out in the Oregon forest. These things are beautiful handcrafted, sells them for hundreds of dollars, spends night camp- nights camping out in the desert, climbed up a tree, up 30 feet in a tree, branch broke, fell out of the tree, broke his back, and he's paralyzed from the waist down. In a moment, how everything can change and how it can rock our world and can lead to a dryness and a loss of joy in our relationship with God can leave us in a place where you're going God where are you in this I don't see you and because I can't see you and I can't feel you you must not be there that is the wall Now that's a short list there's a whole lot of other stuff and you can probably come up with a list of your own But you get the idea. Something that happens, that challenges, a crisis that turns everything upside down and strikes at the very core of who you are. And it leads to this. We end up questioning ourselves. We end up questioning who God is. And we question, very often, the church. We question the church. We discover for the first time or maybe not the first time, that our faith doesn't appear to work. That this thing isn't working. I've been doing all the right things, and it's just not working, because if it were working, that wouldn't have happened. We end up with more questions than we have answers. And it's interesting when you're on the other side of the wall or you have maybe even hit a wall, how easy the, the answers seem to come. And then you talk to someone who's hit the wall and they're like, well, then why? And you're like, or you just give really trite and, and overly simplified answers that just kind of annoy the person who's hitting the wall. You've been there, right? I've been there. I'm all, you just need to stop talking right now because you're not helping me kind of annoying me, and I kind of want to hurt you a little bit. (laughs) Come on, let's just be real, right? Oh, I got so many stories, but we won't go there. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, and how he's getting in there, and how long this will last. When will it be over, God? I need this to be done. So let me ask you this. Why, why is this important? Why should I care? I think it's a little, the, the question kind of answers itself because I, I imagine that God is, is kind of messing with you right now. Um, I was sharing with some folks before service that this, this has been one of the more difficult messages that I've prepared for because it's kicking my butt. And yeah, I just said butt in church, but it's okay. <laughs> because it is. It, it is. Can I just be honest? This is wrecking me, and I was a little concerned that I would be able to make it through today. Because God's like, oh, yeah, remember that wall that you didn't deal with, and that wall you didn't deal with, and that thing we still need to have a conversation about? Like that landmine conversation, I'm all, that was really what God was speaking to me, and you just get to all join in on, on the party. <laughs> because this stuff is real and it's hard. Why should I care? Because for many believers, many Christians, they never actually get to the other side of the wall. They, they stay in a place of stuckness and self-disqualification and self-loathing. And I still go to church because of what I'm supposed to do. But every time I sing these worship songs, it feels weird coming out of my mouth because my heart isn't there. And I see all those shiny things happy people holding hands, (laughs) and I join in, but I don't mean it, and so I hate them, and I hate me for hating them, because I'm in church for crying out loud, right? Can I get a little real this morning? Because people in church don't go through the wall. We ignore the wall, and we go, hey, you good? Oh, brother, I'm blessed, what does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> or, we, or we say things like, well, you know, you woke up this morning and you took a breath, so you are blessed. Yes, you are, but please stop because I'm hurting and I can't figure it out. And can I just tell you a little pastoral transparency here? I see the shifting. Even standing up here, I'll look across and say, huh, Maybe there's someone who's not been here for a week or two. And then they'll come back and it's kind of this, like, I was just dealing with something and I couldn't be there. Can I say, that's, that's okay? I'm not saying don't come to church. But I get it. <laughs> Transparency, there's Sundays that I don't, some Sundays that I don't want to be here. <laughs> It always changes by the time I get here, and I'm like, okay, Lord. But when he's working in your life and you're hitting the wall, I just don't want to go and fake it. Or at the very least, have coals heaped on my head, walking out feeling worse than I came in. That's the wall. Why should you care? Because God wants to bring you through the wall. He's not okay with you stopping at the wall. And some of you are at the wall today. And you're confused and you're hurting. Some of us have been at a wall before and we walked away from the wall and God's like, no, 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 we're not done with that. You haven't gotten what God wanted you to get at that point of brokenness. And so the wall's not going to just disappear because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his commitment to you to grow is greater than your desire to grow. Amen? Some of you didn't hear that. His commitment to you to grow is sometimes greater than your desire to grow. Some of you are very analytical and intellectual and you go, these are good, good points. I'm going to write these down for another day. Today is the day. Today is the day. So let's take a look at the life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham was a man who encountered walls. We want to read this morning in chapter 22 about one of the walls that he encountered. Starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. Didn't that just great? God tested him like, really, Lord? I don't like reading that. God tested Abraham and he said, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. I would have been out the tent down the road at that point. And so would you have. What? Take your son. So Abraham, listen to this. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God, uh, place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I, I and the boy will go, um, we'll go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold. And, And can we just be honest? When Isaac said, my father, Abraham's heart must have just been breaking into a million pieces. Daddy, Abba. Yes, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told, him, told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar On top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand. And took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord. Called to him from heaven. And said Abraham Abraham. And he said here I am. Here am I. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. We'll stop right there. Wow. Wow. What a story. What an encounter. And I've heard this, this story and this, this, this uh, recounting of this, this incident preached on so many times. But when we strip away the Christianese and the veneer and we realize here's a daddy taking his only son to kill him because God said so, it doesn't get much more real than that. But it wasn't Abraham's first wall. See, in Genesis 12... God comes to Abram at that point, hadn't changed his name, and he says, Abram, I'm, I'm calling you to leave your land and your family and everything, your, your, your home, and I'm, I'm calling you to leave and go to a place that I will tell you about later. Twice here we see that God says to Abraham, I need you to get up and go somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you yet where it is. There's a clue in there for us. Leave your family, leave your language, leave everything you know, and, I, and, and follow me. Now, he promises, he says, I will make you a father of nations, right? In Genesis 12, we see Abraham dealing with famine, just not enough food on the table. Infertility, infertility the inability to have children. Tension with his, his cousin, Lot, in Genesis 13. And then marital tension, there were some issues in the home, because Abraham and Sarah decided to help God with his plan, and so they take her servant, Hagar, and they, you know, Sarah says, well, why don't you take her and lie with her, and, and we'll just kind of help God's plan along, and Ishmael is born out of that 6,000 years ago, and we realize that we're still Church, we're still dealing with the repercussions of that disobedience. Because they wanted to help God move the plan along. Skizir in his book actually makes this statement in regards to his ministry. He's like, I wonder how many Ishmaels I've given birth to because I wanted to help God out. Man, that statement hit me like a ton of bricks. I was driving up the 57 freeway listening to the audio book. And I was like, whoa, stay in your lane. Because that... Because we want to help God out. And really what we want to do is help ourselves out because we're impatient. See, Abraham was not unfamiliar with walls. In Genesis 18, sending Ishmael and Hagar away and saying, you need to leave. Because it was outside of God's plan. And now to be at this place where God says, offer up your son he had been promised by God that there would be a promised land and children and descendants like the stars. And to, to be a blessing to the whole world and to generations. But here's the issue. He has one son. He has one son that's, that's living with him. He has one son born into blessing. He lives in a tent. Hello? Hello? Now, you might go, well, that was the culture. No, no, no. He wasn't a king. He lived in a tent. He was nomadic. Oh, and by the way, he's between 110 and 113 years old. That's an issue. It's a problem. And Abraham ha- asks, and you probably would ask the same questions, haven't I been through enough? How much is too much? God, what else do you need me to go through? Haven't I been through enough. But this isn't what Abraham says, right? No. God says, "No, you've not been through enough." So God's going to test him again. Another wall is thrown up in his way his way. "Abraham, take your son and offer him as a burnt uh, 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 offer him as a burnt offering, as a burnt sacrifice. Cut him into pieces as was the tradition as was what what That's what you did with the offering. You didn't burn a hole. You cut it into pieces. It wasn't just that Abraham would light a fire and watch his son burn. That he was supposed to kill him with that knife as he was ready to do. And by the way, take him to a mountain, but I'm not going to tell you what mountain it is. Great God, thanks for the ambiguity. Because this isn't hard enough already. Now you're not even going to tell me where I'm going. Could you just map it out for me a little bit? Isaac, obviously, is at an age of understanding. They're having a conversation, so he's not like a baby. There's relationship there. Abba, where are we going, and where's the lamb for the sacrifice? I see all the other components, everything else that's needed. I imagine my response would have been, I have no idea, and I don't know what God is doing. And you know what? Your mom and I are just really mad at God right now because this isn't a loving thing. But he does it. And he doesn't question. It doesn't say that he even went to Sarah and said, hey, we need to have a conversation. Probably not a conversation he wanted to have. He just got up the next day and he went. And he did it all the way up to the point of raising that knife. And then God says, stop. I see your heart. There's the ram, sacrifice that. So two two issues or two things that we can look at out of the life of Abraham. And I'll tell you right up front what they are. The first is this, the primary issue of the wall is this, my will versus God's will. What does God want and what do I want? And those things stand in opposition to each other if we let it. And then the second thing is our work at the wall. Because God's not going to just do it for you. The primary issue at the wall, my will versus God's will. See, no delay for Abraham. He just went. He said, okay, God, I know what you're doing. I don't really like it, but I'm going. Wasn't angry, wasn't bitter, disappointed, doesn't shrink back. At least we don't see that in the text. In order for us to really grapple with this, you have to understand and you have to believe this. God loves you. And God has some goals for your life that might look different to the goals that you have for yourself. And if you can go here with Him, you would be in a place where you rest and trust in the flood of the love of God. It would become the norm for your life. It would look like pure union, absolute intimacy with God. In a place where your state is such that you are completely transformed into God's will for your life. And then anything contrary is excluded from who you are. Can I just ask you, does that sound good? It sound, I mean, I want to be in a place where I'm like, God, I'm just all in. No matter what. A place where two wills really become one will. And guess what? It's not yours. It's His. Psalm 37.4, one of the mis- most, I believe, misquoted passages in Scripture we like to say, God will give you the desires of your heart, right? Oh, God will give you the desires of your heart. No, God will give you the desires of his heart. That's right. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Become faithful. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What is delight? Align yourself with who he is. Hide yourself in him. Make your heart his heart and his heart your heart, and then your desires will be fulfilled because they'll be the right desires. It would lead to a place where you would be restored to the image and likeness of God as it was intended in the Garden of Eden. See, here's the thing God loves you enough. Listen to me carefully. God loves you enough to strip away and strip off those things that keep you from Him. He loves you enough to strip those things. And and some of those things aren't bad things. And here's part of our messed up theology is like, oh, the bad stuff is the bad stuff and the good stuff is the good stuff. And God's just against the bad stuff, but the good stuff, you know, the good stuff can keep us from God. God. And so he says, anything that keeps you from me, I want to rip it out of your life. I want to remove it. At the wall, I relinquish what I cling to for identity. I let go of the things that make me who I am or make me who I think make me what I am. How about some of these? Work. My work defines me. Religion and church. Intellect, control, addiction, gifts, talents, family, pride, recognition of other people, doing good, your expectations of God, dreams and or illusions. That these are all things that keep, can keep us from God. And so often what we think is best for us isn't best for us. It's really the worst. God, I really want that. And God's like, you really don't want that. Because that's bad for you. And things that we think are the worst. God, I want to go through the painful things. And God goes, yeah, but there's good things there for you. That's really the best. And you just kind of throw your hands up and go, well, I have no idea. And God goes, exactly. Exactly. But I do. See, it's the reworking and the rewiring of our thinking. Now, Now listen to Romans chapter 12 in light of this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Oh, I come and I lift my hands. No, you lay Isaac on the altar. It's not not flowery language. This is bloody and hard and difficult. I present myself as a living sacrifice. Isaac being laid on the altar. God, I lay myself in a place where, where I invite you to, to tear my life apart. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you know the will of God? You lay yourself on an altar and say, God, take my life. Strip those things away. See, and in that place, you prepare yourself for a higher degree and a better, deeper, stronger relationship with him and a place where you can commune with him more abundantly when every time you open your Bible and you read, it's just this infusion of life and blessing and not dry. Why do people get in that desert place? Because they hit the wall and they're like, don't want to go through the wall. I don't want to go through the wall. You're not in a desert place. You're ignoring the walls. Deal with the walls. Yeah, but that's hard. It's better than the desert. It's better than the desert. And listen, this is not God just saying, I just want to correct some things in you, and I just want to hold something. This is not sin management. If you can just get some things under control. No, he wants to purge you Such a good word. He wants to purge you of the things that shouldn't be there. Things that are deeply rooted. Things like pride. Oh, this has got real. Er. (laughs) Pride. Well, I'm better than that person, so I must be doing okay. No patience for them when, when they mess up. Well, I can do it myself better than they can do it. Comparing myself to someone who's not progressing spiritually and you go... Well, I must be okay. God's not all right with that. Greed. He wants to purge us of greed. Discontent. Comparing. Never learning what it means to be poor in spirit. Luxury. The pleasures of spiritual blessings rather than God himself. Can I just tell you, as Christians so often, we're addicted to the good feelings that come from knowing Jesus. We're addicted to the warm fuzzies that come from knowing Jesus or standing in a moving worship service going, oh, that was so good. Yeah, and there was nothing of a worshipful heart before God that was all for you. Luxury, a comfortable relationship with God. Really, it's, it's just the same thing as being in the world. Just make me happy. Hey, pastor, just I, can you make sure that the ministries of this church just really meet my needs? Now I'm, Now I'm messing with people, right? I don't want to be that kind of church. Wrath, easily irritated, no sweetness in your life. Oh, this is one the Lord's like, really? I'm going to poke you a little bit in this place. Why are you impatient with your wife and your kids? making grand resolutions to change, but having no patience to wait for the change to happen or the discipline to make it a reality. Spiritual gluttony. Don't want the cross, but I want spiritual pleasure. I'll just read the nice verses, the happy verses, like old Pollyanna, right? I just want to read the happy verses in the Bible. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that. I mean there are good ones and there's some great promises but but they're ushered in because of anyway spiritual envy unhappy when others do well spiritually that person's excelling and so I'm like hmm I I feel badly for you for me because I'm not where you are and I can't celebrate or sloth running from those things that are hard I just don't want to do the work God wants to purge, purge, purge us of those things. He wants you to lose your love for the things of this world and understand a love, a deep love for Him and Him for you. It's cleansing, it's purifying, and it's good. Consider this prayer. Bring me closer to you, God, no matter what the consequences. Bring me closer to you, God, no matter what the consequences. God, no matter what it takes, would you draw me closer to you? Being able to pray this prayer and meaning it from the bottom of our heart says a lot about our image of God and who he is and who we are. Abraham could have said, well, not if it cost me my child. Not if it cost me my job. Not if it cost me this or cost me that. Or, Lord, I just don't want to be uncomfortable. God says, then we can't go there together. Maybe you can't see it because you're afraid. Maybe afraid of Him. Remember, God loves you. He loves you and he wants to bring you through. So the fundamental issue here is my will versus God's will. Whose will will win? Second thing is this, our work at the wall, and I've just got three quick things and we'll finish up. First is this, you have work to do. Can we just agree that this is not a walk in the park, right? This is not a, hey, I church, attend church a few times a year and and, and I you know just to kind of get my tank filled up a little bit. Remember that the Sunday I talked about thriving and I and I had that cup and the pitcher up here and, and I poured a little bit into the cup and I was like, okay, so many believers we live our lives two thirds full. And so when the tank gets a little empty, I'm like, well I better read another book or listen to another sermon or actually go to church this Sunday. Now I'm not trying to harp on that. But but it's important for us and then I poured more of that water in and it started flowing out of the cup and and, became a, and and filled into that bowl. That when God is pouring into us to overflowing, we become a blessing. Abraham was told he would be a blessing. Why? Because God poured into him such a way that it overflowed out of his life. But what does that pouring into look like? It, that the pouring into comes as we push through the wall. It's the, it's the source of that refreshing and that trust. So three things that that need to be involved in our work at the wall when we come to these walls. First of this, be aware that you're at a wall, an awareness of the wall. This is a profoundly inward journey. I can't tell you you're at the wall because you're probably hiding the wall from me, Right? even in our homes and in our marriages it's hard to identify what's really going on times megan will say to me what's up with you cuz she doesn't know and there's times where i'm like i have no idea anyone anyone else help me out okay good thank you it's at the wall i become aware of my wounds and my brokenness and my need for healing and it's not pretty. At the wall, I begin to name my issues, and I admit them, and I go, yeah, that is a problem in my life, and that's something that I haven't fixed, and I haven't addressed, and I haven't brought before the Lord, and I realize what is happening, and again, this is where people kind of throw theology on it. Well, the enemy's going to come against you, and he's like a roaring lion. Yes, he is. But at the same time, in those places where we willfully walk into things that God doesn't intend for us, we, we self-harm, we da- do damage to ourselves. And recognizing those things is not just, it's not evil. Remember when I was growing up, it was like the devil was in everything. That's the devil, and that's a demon, and that's a demon, and that's... No, that's a stubborn Christian who doesn't want to do the hard work of discipleship. It's almost like Satan's back there going, no, 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 that's not... I didn't do that one. I'll claim that, and that, and that. Just read the book of Job, right? If I give it a theology, it's easier to explain it away, and God says, no, it's a gift, Hurting can be a gift because we have to face and be aware of the things that are really going on. I love this. Skazira says this we need to befriend the darkness. Yeah. We need to befriend the darkness and realize that it's in those dark places that God brings breakthrough. It's not bad or to be feared. God's in it, and our awareness of what's really happening gives us the ability to then move beyond it. It allows us to uh, move to a place where our prayers don't become ways of avoiding dark nights or dark seasons, right? So much of our prayer, and as I was reading this, I was like, oh, shoot, that's me. So often, save me, protect me. God, bring good things into my life and hold the bad things back. God's like, really? You just want to be comfortable. God, change me no matter what it takes. I don't want to be safe and comfortable. I want to be transformed. And here's the truth, that God will allow difficult, hard, and even evil things to move into our lives to get us To come to a place where we come to our senses. The prodigal son was allowed to go and the father didn't chase after him. He welcomed him back, but he didn't chase. He said, you've got to sink to a place where you recognize and you're aware of your lostness. And then I will work in your life and restore. So awareness, forgiveness... Forgiveness is not easy. Can we just agree this morning? As I said that, you thought of like two or three people, didn't you? Right? (laughs) Think about this. Think about yourself. I get to a place where, hey, listen, I can talk about forgiveness about other people all day long. You know I have the hardest time forgiving? It's me. Getting to a place where I don't beat myself up. Or say things like this, you know, I probably deserve it. Place where I forgive myself so I can fully receive His love in my life. I forgive myself, but I don't cover up and hide from my stuff. See, for me to love you, listen, church, for me to love you, I first need to love myself. And not some you know, nebulous kind of way. That love is informed by the love of God. I can't love you if I can't understand that God loves me and He's called me to love me. To forgive you, I have to forgive myself. I have to move beyond those things, those stuck points in my life where I won't let myself off the line, where I say things like I'm, I'm paying the price for the things. Oh, it's just the consequences or... Again, the theology, right? Well, I'm just reaping, I'm just reaping what I sowed. Truth, a truth statement. But God never intended that for us to be something that we beat ourselves up with, because he doesn't. That he can minister to those ungodly harvests and say, you know what, I can change that. What, what the enemy intended for harm, I'm going to bring around for good. If I accept my own anger, my own imperfections, check it out, then I can accept it in other people. So often the people that irritate us the most are the people that are just like us. Am I right? Come on. If you've got an anger problem, you know who irritates you? Angry people. Not because they're angry, because you see yourself. And that's hard. I have to forgive me. And then this, acceptance. Actually, I want to say this. Many of us know that God is love, and we we understand, and we can think it, and we sing it, and we, I believe that. But for so many, we never experience it. We never walk in a place where, like, I really know that God is love because I felt it in my life. God wants to move it from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. Amen? Acceptance. I embrace and accept myself for who I am. Heard it say this way, I'm not okay, and that's okay. You're not okay, and that's okay. My limits, my brokenness, it's, it's just who I am recognizing that maybe there's areas of my life and there's areas of your life where you've never been totally healed. And that all of us will always be in some kind of recovery. Every one of us will be in a place for the rest of our lives where we'll be in a place of recovery. Where God's like, okay, now we're done with that. Now I'm going to deal with this thing. And you're like, oh great, here we go again. Another wall. Another wall. No, you know what's going to end up happening? You're going to go, God, I'm hitting another wall, which means you want to take me deeper with you. Thank you. Thank you. I embrace my wounds for what they teach me. For what they teach me. See, there are rich treasures at the wall just waiting for you. And here's my promise. And it's not my promise. I believe... It's the promise of the Lord to you. You will not recognize yourself on the other side. That you won't recognize yourself on the other side of the wall. That you'll come through and go, whoa, I had no idea that this was possible. I always thought I would just be stuck there. And then on top of that, other people go, what has happened to you? What is going on in your life? See, the result is a healthy love of ourselves, a true love of others, a true love of God, and, and, and a trust for Him. And we find that those deep desires and those heart desires that we have really come from God, and, 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 and I didn't even realize they were there. We end up in places that we never dreamed of with people we never imagined. You become, listen to me, you become the extraordinary human being that God intends you to be. That's what going through the wall, that's what journeying through the wall is all about. See, God tests us and it's a privilege and an honor to be tested tested by Him. See, because God only tests people who have a calling and a future. If He didn't care about you, He wouldn't test you as He did with Abraham. And, can, and, and, and put this together this morning. You are blessed today because of Abraham. See, because without Abraham's obedience, Jesus wouldn't have come. Right. You are blessed today because Abraham's obedience. So now what? What about you? What do you do? Do this. Persevere in patience. Keep still. Be quiet. And listen for his voice. We've been talking about silence. I'd love to take time this morning we're out of time today. Some point today, would you get alone with the Lord? And, and, and don't pray, don't talk, don't turn on worship music. Don't just sit and listen. Take three minutes and just listen and say, God, what are you wanting to speak to me out of what I heard this morning? And let him move in your heart. Persevere in spiritual ex- exercises. Even when there's no pleasure, I'm not, I haven't been getting anything out of, out of the Word, so I'm not going to read anymore. No, 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 no. no. Read the Word. Allow God's Word to wash over you. Maybe you're not getting out anything out of it because it's doing some hard work. And it's not the warm fuzzies, but it's the... Uh, God, move in my heart. Psalm 63, verse 2. David says this, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Let's stand together. As the worship team comes up, let me ask you this question. This morning, are you moving or are you stuck? Are you moving or are you stuck? Maybe you don't know. You're like, I have no idea. Then then ask yourself this. Do I feel comfortable praying that prayer God, conform me to your image. Change my heart no matter what it takes. If that's a hard prayer for you to pray this morning, you might just be stuck. And that's okay. God wants to move you through the wall. I'm going to pray and close us and our worship team. will uh, do one final song. Our prayer team is available this morning. If you need to pray with someone, if you need to just stand with someone and agree and say, "Hey, I'm I'm at the wall, or maybe multiple walls," and you just need someone to encourage you, to stand with you, to cry with you, we want to we want to do that today. We want to be available to you. Don't don't rush out. Um, if you do, if you have kids in in childcare, please make sure. To, to go get them though don't, don't linger too long Or, um, but even throughout the rest of this day just be aware of what God is speaking to you Father this morning I'm thankful for your overwhelming abundant agape unconditional no strings attached love for us that it's not performance-based, Lord, that you're not saying to us, hey, once you figure it out, I'll love you more. God, at this moment in time that you cannot, there is no way for you to love us more than you do right now. And I pray, Lord, that we would be so aware of that truth and that reality. And because of that love, God, that we can face Whatever it is, whatever the wall is, whatever the situation, whatever the the crisis is, God, that we can face it in your name and in your love and that we can break through that wall. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen.